You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch Podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. Yo, it's Gwen, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. This is Chad Carson, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. This is Bianca, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, today we have a panel discussing the joy and pain of real estate investing. I'd like to welcome Chad Carson, Bianca, and Gwen to the show today. Chad, can you tell us a little bit about your experience in real estate? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I live in Clemson, South Carolina. It's a small college town and I've been investing in real estate about 16 years. So started off full-time kind of flipping houses and now more of a, a kind of a landlord who owns rental properties. So that's sort of my, my story in a nutshell. Great. Thanks, Chad. Bianca, how about you? Uh, hi, my name is Bianca. I uh, blog over at Miss Mizuma and I started doing real estate Mm, I don't know, 2005, bought a few properties and wound up losing them all in the real estate market crash. Um, I'm in Chicago, or my real estate was in Chicago, but uh, I have an upside because I started buying again. So I'm, I'm back into investing in real estate. So I got the rise and the fall going. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. Gwen, how about you? Hey, I'm Gwen, and I dipped my toes into real estate a couple of years ago after talking to a bunch of real estate experts in the FIRE community, and uh, it worked out really well to house hack while I lived in it, and then everything went downhill after I left, and so I have since sold that property, thank goodness, and am now kind of exploring what I want to do next in the real estate world. Wonderful. Thanks for coming on the show, all of you. And so the question that we're asking today is, should real estate be a part of your path to financial independence? Our guests all have an experience, uh, some experience in real estate, and they have both the good and bad. And so what we're talking about when we're talking about real estate investing is not necessarily your primary residence or even house hacking, but if you are considering or you're pursuing FI and you want real estate investing to be a part of your ongoing portfolio, aside from your personal residence, should that play a role or not? 
So I think we should open up with Chad. Uh, you've written a book about real estate, and obviously uh, you've managed quite a bit. But the thing I'm interested in is what do you think has been your biggest real estate failure or what has been your biggest problem managing properties? Hmm. Good question. So, I mean, I, I think the failure for me was being too aggressive and buying too many properties, actually. So I was, I was in the business full time um, from the beginning. And so this is kind of this is how I made a living. So I had sort of the, the dual goals of I've just got to put some food on the table, flipping houses or managing my properties. And I've also got this goal of fire and retiring early and using this uh, real estate to produce income. So I had both of those on my mind, but the kind of job part of it, of just trying to flip houses and make money um, in 2007, we got, we, we bought a lot of properties. And so I think we had probably 50 closings in one year, wow. <laughs> uh, which is nuts. We were just out marketing a lot and aggressively looking for properties. And so like the end, end of that story didn't turn out as a failure, but there was a lot of pain kind of in the process as the market went down. Um, some of those properties we bought that year were great. We made a lot of money, but other properties were in the wrong location. So Gwen, I know you're going to talk about some of that, but I had, I had some of my own painful stories where I lost money. You actually made money on yours, but I lost money on some properties and had negative cash flow on some properties, but more, even more than the money, it just took a lot of my time and my energy and angst, uh, owning properties that weren't, uh, weren't good investments and also just weren't in good locations. So I think my failure was, um, getting ahead of myself and kind of losing focus on some of the, the fundamentals because I was just trying to do more, do more, do more. How long did it take you from the day you decided to do real estate to the day you bought your first property? Mm, it took me about six months. And I was, it was, I was just out of college. And so my, the niche I was in was not actually buying rental properties at the time. I was out finding deals for other people. So I was sort of like a, sometimes they call that a bird dog or a finder of somebody who finds deals for people who actually have money because I had no money. <laughs> um, but I was every single day out looking around, you know, talking to realtors, knocking on doors, calling for sale by owner signs. I was just hustling all the time for six months with zero progress and just getting rejected, rejected, rejected. And I finally found one though, six months later, and it got a lot better after that. I actually bought six properties pretty soon after that. So it just took a while. Now, Bianco, as I'm listening to him, I recall you also bought a bunch of properties right in the beginning. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with Chad. Buying too aggressively was my biggest downfall. Part of that also was not understanding leverage and and I guess I guess I, I I did understand it, but I thought if you put 20% down on a property, you were playing it right. You were that was a safe thing to do to get rid of PMI um, mortgage insurance. But what was happening that time, I started buying in 2004 and I had my I think I bought my last property in 2010. Um, what was happening during that time was with the market crashing, um, people were buying with 0% down. So I was losing 20% of the things that I was purchasing right off the bat, minus what the market was doing. So in the end, I lost over 60% of value of these properties, which was fine, but I also couldn't rent them for what I thought was going to cover the mortgage. So when those when the prices of rents started going down too, I was already paying over for all the rents. So then it was just more and more and more and not being able to rent them not being able to kick one girl out. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. Um, I think that I was kind of also gambling my current income against my future, assuming it would stay the same. 
but I didn't foresee some of the other things that hit me during that same time, which would be a divorce and moving and uh, just different life, life things that wouldn't keep me at the same income because I couldn't work as much as I was doing. So um, there's a lot that went into the downfall of it all. How many properties did you buy in how short of a time? Um, I bought my first in 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007. So four, one per year. I was making 40000 a year and I was buying one per year in Chicago, which was, you know, it's not a very uh, cheap real estate market. So I think the least expensive place I was buying was 100000 I was putting 20000 down. So basically I was using all my savings to put money down on these properties and I didn't leave myself enough buffer, which, which I think is one of the things that Chad talks about. Um, I've heard him speak a couple of times, but also have his book and uh, leaving yourself that buffer. Like he, he has a lot in cash just to cover properties just in case. I didn't have that. I was expecting my tenants to pay. Never, never expect that. Yeah. When you jumped in, did you know about the 1% or 2% rule? How much reading kind of had you done uh, before you kind of went that direction? No, I, I, I did not know about the 1% rule. I didn't get into any of this fire stuff until way later. So in 2015, way past um, all the short sales, but or not way past, but years past. Um, my grandparents were in real estate. So I grew up where we would go and look at the houses. We actually lived in one after my parents' divorce. We lived in one of my grandfather's properties. And I just remember him showing me uh, what's a good property to look for, what's not, look at the windows, look at different things. And uh, so that always stuck with me. And for me, it was a point of pride that I was following in their footsteps. When I bought my first place in 2004, he was right there along with me, you know, showing me what to look for. And um, and then I became a realtor. So I was really involved in it. I really enjoyed the process of matching a buyer with a property. But um, for me, I think I just started buying way too aggressively for um, what I, my income can handle. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, like you, grew up a little bit with a family who did real estate, but no one ever explained to me the numbers. Yeah, um, I'd like to tie in Gwen because Gwen, it sounds like when you started buying properties, you actually understood the numbers. Um, you got some properties that actually fit well into our categories, uh, the things that that people like Chad and Paul often talk about, yet just meeting the numbers didn't necessarily make for the perfect uh, piece of property. Yeah, definitely more than the numbers. So the first property I tried to buy um, looked great on paper. It was a class A property and I would have done really well with that property, except um, you have to check things like the cert- certificate of occupancy from the city and make sure that it's you're able to rent it out as a rental property. And in that instance, uh, it had expired and she had not renewed it and the zoning had reverted back to single family. So I could not have rented that property out, even though it meant the 1% rule. So I walked away from that deal. The second deal was the one that I bought and it almost met the 2% rule. So I bought it for 82.5 and the expected rent was 16 or so hundred dollars a month. And like on paper, it's a great deal, but um, it wasn't in the best neighborhood and there was no super quality tenant that wanted to live there. So I was dealing with bad quality tenants to begin with. And then um, through a series of errors that I made on my own, um, things got compounded by me not doing my due diligence with regards to the tenants. So I was getting bad tenants and having to kick them out. 
and having them not pay rent. And so like Bianca said, you can't depend on your tenants paying the rent for you. And it was fine while I lived there. But then when I moved and it became an actual rental property with the property management company, I, I couldn't keep it up anymore. The expenses were too much because the property was also very old and needed a lot of repairs from previous owners' neglect. So um, on paper, great deal, not so much in real life. So I'm interested, Chad, when you hear these stories, you know, kind of a two-part question. One is, it sounds like when you first started, you hit some of these same problems. So what made you want to keep going? That's kind of question one. And then question two, I think people come to your book a lot for some of these type of answers, as well as they ask you to coach them through the process. How do you tell them to not just take their money and put it into VTSAX as opposed to continuing in real estate? Well, for, for me, I, I kind of think it like a, a baseball analogy. I'm not sure if this will swing with everybody, but um, you know, like a good batting average in baseball is like 300. And so, you know, three out of 10 is, is, is like an all-star. And so I, I had some mess ups and some bad deals, but also had enough <clears throat> good deals that it sort of outweighed those negatives. And, and to Bianca's point, like, you know, I don't know that we were like, I don't think we were smart about this. We were just maybe like a little paranoid. We just saved a lot of cash. Like I just didn't, this is kind of the fire mentality of just living frugally. And so my business partner and I both didn't take much money out of the business when things were going well. So we were making big money flipping houses and we just kept putting aside a lot of money. And so I think we were just able to absorb some of the stupidity we had because we just set aside a bunch of cash. So that was part of it. But I think the successes kept me going. I saw that there was a lot of potential and, um, you know, so I, I was invested in it. And plus, you know, a lot of the bad deals I had to hang on to, like I, I compare the, I tell people now, like I've still got, it's like bubble gums on the stuck on the bottom of your shoe and you can't get it off for years. That's, that's what some of these properties are like. They just kind of get stuck to you and you just, you have to see it through whether you like it or not. And so I, I was in, I was in the game. I wasn't going away, but I, because of those successes, like I started seeing, I was like, you know, what? I, I've got these couple bad properties. It was kind of like the 80, 20 rule where 20% were really bad, but I had these 80% that were doing awesome. Like they I had a tenant who would stay for years, pay on time, they were wonderful. We love them. They liked living there. They paid the rent. And I said, you know, if I could just like, if I could just arrange my whole portfolio where I just get more of those kind of properties with those kind of tenants, you know, life could be good. Um, and so I, I sort of doubled down on the good ones. We started eventually sold off most of the bad ones. And, and so that, that was exciting because it has gotten every year, it's gotten easier, it's gotten easier. And, and then the, the properties we bought since then, all of those mistakes are kind of fresh in my mind. And so I can remember those and not try to not make that same mistake again. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things um, about this panel is that Paul and you, Chad, really do this mostly for a living. So in other words, it's the main hustle. Mm -hmm. Whereas us three, Glenn, Bianca, and I, really real estate has been more of a side hustle. Um, which means that we haven't always had as much room to fail and then move forward because uh, mm. we've been caught up in other things and our money has been caught up in other places. Uh, I want to throw this back to Bianca. After being involved with this community, after hearing people like Paul and Chad, do you think you'd be more successful if you were back in 2004 doing what you were doing, but knowing now what you know? Honestly, you know, I think about that. I think it's it's easy to go back and say I would have done things differently. I might have, I might not have 
what I probably would have done knowing what I know now is just a 0% town loan, not lost my 20,000 on or whatever, my 20% on each property. Um, but no, I, I think that I am in a better place now because I actually lived through it and really, you know, it's one thing, Gwen, before she bought her property, I talked to her about all the negative stuff. She knew my whole story and she dove right in. It doesn't matter what somebody tells you. It doesn't matter the amount of advice unless you've lived it. Sometimes you don't, or at least me, I, I, I learn by living things. Nobody at no point did anyone tell me I was doing anything wrong. It really was all about putting 20% down. And that was the goal. Um, and that meant that you were being successful. So I don't think that I would do it differently going forward. I'm definitely doing it differently now at one point while I was finishing signing the last short sale and walking out of that office and like had a complete meltdown over it. Cause I didn't allow myself to really feel how difficult that whole couple of years was. Um, I thought I would never get back into real estate. There was no way. And that's kind of where Gwen was at a few weeks ago, at least that there's no way she would get back into it. But then you start to like, look back and look, well, it wasn't that bad. And you look at people that are successful and like Chad and you're like, well, you know, yeah, if you get those good tenants and if the market goes well and if, you know, you set yourself a certain way, then it could be very successful like it was for my grandparents too. I think that that's more where I'm at now. So looking back, no, but going forward definitely has changed. Uh, I own a property now that is over 1%, just kind of by fluke though, that I purchased it really low in the same building I had my short sales in because I couldn't get a mortgage anymore. It takes four years after a short sale to get, be able to get a mortgage again. Um, and a property came up that I really wanted. I cashed everything out to buy it. So right there, I had really didn't learn my lesson because I cashed out a bunch of stuff to buy it. But for me, it was owning it outright and not having a mortgage. And the mortgage is where you get into trouble with, with real estate. If you own it, they can't take it away. So Gwen, I think when I was at the Camp Fine, Minnesota with you, uh, part of my time was spent on the phone with one of the condos I own the air conditioner broke down, the coolant leaked, it went through the closet into the unit below it and caused all sorts of damage. So this stuff is a pain. And Bianca kind of just said, I had this, you know, really bad experience, and yet you still want to go back. So why do you think, Gwen, people always want to come back to real estate, even with all the, you know, trials and tribulations we seem to have with it? Well, it's a good source of diversification for one. So if you you don't have to worry necessarily so much about the stock market when you have money coming in from rentals, provided you know you did all your due diligence and got in a good area that's not going to be super hit by a market downturn. So that's a really huge draw is to be able to say, my money is coming from different areas. But also just like there's so much money to be made in real estate. I mean, I see the things that my friends are doing in real estate with Chad making money hand over fist and being able to live in Ecuador for 17 months. Um, and my other friends who haven't had a day job in you know a decade because they have real estate property. Like I see that the money can be made. I just don't know how to do it myself. So I, I think that that really goes back to Chad. So Chad, this is kind of, you wrote a book. I think you do a lot of coaching. You do a lot of writing about this. What are the top three or four things you tell people when they say, I'm completely fresh, I have a little money, I want to go into real estate, but they don't really know anything yet. What resources do you send them towards or what are the top few pieces of advice you give them? 
Yeah, I might start just with what you were just talking to Gwen and Bianca about is like, you know, why is this even a, a good option for you? Like, I might, I, I try to talk people out of it, actually. <laughs> so you don't really want to do real estate, do you? I mean, what about this? What about this? And and because they're, I look at real estate a little bit differently than like an, than other investments. It's, it's part business, part uh, investment. And so it's, it's, it's like a startup business, basically. So when you first get into it, you've got so much to learn. You've got to build a team. You've got things to do. So like it's, it's, it's almost like getting a big boulder rolling. And, and so I just ask, are you willing to, to ha- put in the time to get the knowledge and to get this going? And if you are, let me sell you on the benefits. And you know, the benefits are, I think, very different than a lot of the other investment vehicles. Um, Gwen hit it, hit it perfectly. It's, it's, you get income that comes in very steady, even during the downturn. I know there were some soft markets where rent went down, but overall, you know, prices went down by in some areas by 40, 50%, whereas rents might have dripped by dipped by 5%, for example. And so like, there's a much more stable, consistent income. And so for people who are going to fire and you're trying to retire early, you know, having that consistency is really big. Instead of having to worry about, oh man, I'm going to have to have a sequence of risk return this year. And am I going to have enough net worth this year? If you have a base of income from rental properties, that that's a really big benefit for those of us trying to live off that for a long time. So like once we get over that, that's the, that's one of the benefits. I, I I'll also, excuse me, also like that there's a lot of control. So um, I'm kind of a entrepreneur. You know, most entrepreneurs are a little bit more control freaks. They want to be involved <laughs> and get things done. And so I think, for, that kind of separates people whether they want to do real estate or not. Like, are you somebody who wants to get engaged with your investment with the potential to have a lot of upside? So like, if you, if you, if you like doing that and putting a little bit of effort in up front, you could have a much bigger upside. Whereas if you want to invest in index funds, which I do some as well, there's not a lot of control you have over it. It's just, you gotta, you just gotta hang on and have the psychological fortitude not to get in and out and just stick with it. And so that's, I think, Real estate separates them. Investors separate themselves into those two different camps based on whether they fit into those. And I'm not sure if I answered your other question, Doc, on, on how to like what the first thing somebody should do. do you, I could go into that later, maybe. But yeah, we'll we'll continue the conversation. Um, let me ask you, or let me make a statement. I think one of the problems is that people we see people like Coach Carson, we see people like Paul. Coach, you spent whatever 17 months in Ecuador, and a lot of us see it and think, oh, it must be easy. I can make a living. I can, you know, quote unquote, retire and just have all these uh, properties do the work for me. What I don't think people realize is that when you started this, you really started this as a small business. And it was a very, very full time Mm -hmm. business for probably the first five, 10 years. Only after you got to a certain level, just like any business owner, could you extract yourself a little bit from the day to day? Exactly right. Yeah, it's, 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 it's exactly that, that you're going to start for five years. I think five years is a good number. And after that, your properties stabilize a little bit. You get to know them better. You get to know what the big expenses are, or maybe you've already covered those in the first few years. After five years, yeah, you can kind of cruise a little bit more. And you also have to build relationships and teams. It's, a much, it's much more of a person business than just pressing a button on a computer. And so like I, the reason I was able to go for 17 months was not a magic wand. It was basically I had really awesome people on the ground who I trusted and who did things. And so it, you know, me building a relationship with those people to where we worked with each other and trusted each other, that didn't ha- happen overnight. That was, that was me building, you know, adding value to their lives and them adding value to my life, us having a communication channel, having systems. 
So that stuff can be done. It's not impossible. It's not rocket science, but it's, it does take effort up front. And that's why I try to talk people out of it sometimes and say, you know, you really want to do this um, because it's easy to sell all the benefits without sort of that other stuff you got to get through. Well, I, I was just going to say the same thing that Chad was saying, that, like having that good support system is huge, especially if you're going to try to manage from afar. If you don't know, some people are kind of touting buying properties in places that they've never lived before right now. If you do that, you better know that property in and out or have a really good support system because if you don't, it could be a nightmare. The other thing, and, and this goes back to, Dr. G, this goes back to your question earlier, is about why would anyone want to get involved in this? And part of that, one of the things that I question is, is what is your patience level for 2 a.m. calls from your tenants? You know, if you're brand new at this and you have one or two properties, you probably don't have a property manager. Those tenants are going to be calling you regardless of what it could be for. I mean, I called for a fire in the property, which was not a fire. It was a pizza that she put in the oven and forgot and woke up at 2 a.m. drunk and didn't know that there was a pizza burning in her oven. You know, those are the calls you're going to get. And and you have to know if you are able to handle that without freaking out, or is it something that isn't worth your time or effort for whatever you might be getting to cover the cost of that mortgage if you have a mortgage. Um, the other thing, and this Gwen can speak to, is knowing the cost of things. You know, she hired uh, someone for her Dingle House property, which is a great story in itself. But uh, Gwen, you could speak to that. But uh, she hired a contractor to do all this work, and the contractor did half the work and not even, and she had to pay her for that, and basically took her money and ran, and then had to pay someone to fix other stuff again. So it's about knowing the property really well enough and knowing what the cost of things are before you go purchasing something that might cost you a whole lot more than you expect. And you're going to have no returns for a long time. So that's the, the two things, you know, beyond what Chad said that are really important for anyone who's starting. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R-U-S-A.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. I have a confession to make. Money has been stressful to us lately. Look, we are in the midst of a house remodel. We are sending our first kid to college. And everything I thought I knew about budgeting has been out the window. The main savior for us has been Monarch Money. We started using Monarch Money about three months ago. My wife and I have been thinking a lot about our finances and our budget has changed But we love Monarch Money because it's collaborative. We can both look at this together as well as share it with other people like a financial advisor if we want to. It's really aspirational. We can put information in there about, for instance, our kids' college education or about our remodel. 
And we can see where we need to go and where we are going. This is the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I love about Monarch Money is it's intuitive. It's really easy to sign on and connect all your bank accounts and credit cards. As we said, it's collaborative. It's also customizable. Like We were able to build in exactly what we wanted to do with our kids' college education as well as our home remodel. This is an app that is customer-focused. Really, Monarch Money is looking to make this app useful to you and me and all of us who are aspirational about our money. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners to the show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Yeah, Gwen, we we definitely need to hear about the Dingle House. Uh, can you can you list for us the number of things that went wrong that you had no idea about that you had to fix? Oh, geez. Uh, okay, so it's called the Dingle House because when I went to sell it, um, the realtor fat fingered the listing and said it could be turned back into a single family house. But instead, it said Dingle Family House. And I said, that's it. That's the name for this <laughs> stupid house, the Dingle House. So when I moved in, I knew that I needed new gutters. I knew that it needed a paint job on the exterior. And so I was savvy and good at real estate already. And I negotiated $2,500 for the the, uh, gutters off the purchase price. And I got that as a credit. And so I was like, yeah, I'm doing great. Little did I know that on a huge property built in 1910, that's a Neo-Georgian revival style house, that seamless gutters cost a lot more than $2,500. Plus, it was so big that I needed the commercial gutters, so which is an added expense on top of that. I also, yeah, so so I hired a contractor. I got bids for it and rent. Um, the rates ranged from $5,000 to $60,000 to do what I wanted on the property. And so obviously, I told the guy who wanted $60,000 to go take a hike um, but those $5,000, she was awesome. She is a female contractor. And I was like, heck yeah, solidarity sister. Like, let's go. I want to support the female trades. But little did I know the only thing she knew how to paint was the vision for what she was going to do to the property. So she hired subcontractors that instead of scraping the paint properly as they should have with, cause it probably had lead in it. Uh, they just slapped the new paint on top of the old paint. So the new paint was immediately starting to peel off just like the old paint. So when I told them to go back and scrape it, they borrowed my tenant's wire grill brush, scraped half-heartedly at the exterior, and then painted over it. But the problem was is that they ran over, um, they ran out of paint. So they had to go buy new paint, and it wasn't the same shade of blue. So now I have a piebald painted house that's peeling already after a month of being painted. She also did stuff to my front porch and said, oh, I'll stain your front porch to match your front door. And I said, perfect. I love the color of my front door. But she didn't realize that it had been painted for like, you know, half a century or something and couldn't get all the paint off. So she power washed it. 
but she didn't sand it down or let it dry out before she stained it. So then I had a spiky waterlogged stained front porch that was going to rot very quickly. So then I had to hire a different contractor to replace the front porch. And uh, while I was at it, I also got the back porch done as well, which was an extra $15,000 that I wasn't anticipating. Um, so right there, I'm out $20,000 just from the beginning. And that didn't even cover things on the interior that I had to do, which um, I had to kick a tenant out for doing and dealing drugs at the house. Uh, and um, God only knows what he smoked or did in that apartment. So I had to remediate everything. I had to rip out the carpet, which was pretty new, and put down new carpet, which is a couple extra thousand dollars. Plus, I like nice things. So I was oh, put nice carpet in there, which was dumb. Shouldn't have done that. Should have just gone for the cheap crap that could have been ripped out. And then I also had to seal in all of the walls and the ceilings and scrub the crap out of the woodwork. Um, and he left you a nice present too. Oh, and yeah. And thank you for the reminder. Um, I also had to clean out the uh, T-bone steak that was left in the top <laughs> shelf of the cupboard in the cabinet for two weeks in the middle of July in the Midwest. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's you. You know, you have enough experience now that this will all be easy for you next time. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, what's interesting about this is you hear stories like this, and you've gone through stories like this, and yet you still think about going into real estate. But <laughs> I was first going in. I mean, I'm a real estate investor. I've have I don't have. Actually, I cannot top any of your stories, so I probably should stop talking. But we anybody who owns property is going to have problems sooner or later. It comes with the territory. So what surprises me is when I got into this fire movement, which is, or FI movement, which is much more recently than, than most of you, I was so surprised. I went to Camp FI in January uh, this year in 2018, and I was going there as the real estate guy, had no intention of talking about real estate. I thought we were talking about index funds the whole time or, you know, our beach vacations or, or how to travel hack or whatever. And when they found out that I was in real estate, I could not stop talking about real estate. And it surprised me how many people in the fire fire movement continue to uh, have interest. Um, why, why do you think that is? Go ahead. Well, so real estate isn't just buying rental properties and renting them out to tenants. There's so many different facets of real right. estate that I'm interested in. I could go into commercial real estate and right. just go with companies as the tenants. I could go into raw land investing and not have to worry about tenants at all. I could be the backer for somebody else flipping a house. Like there's so many different aspects of real estate that I figured out that I'm really bad landlord. But just because I'm a bad landlord doesn't mean that I can't get money invested in real estate in some fashion or form. Go ahead. Yeah, that's something, you know, I've been to all the Camp Fives, so at this point, I think I could speak pretty well about them. You know, in we were all at Camp Five Midwest, and at that camp, that breakout session, the real estate breakout session that wasn't even a planned thing, was the biggest session I've seen at any of them. And because we had so many people from different facets, like Gwen is talking about, different facets of real estate, and once you start talking about them, I mean, it does take on a whole new life, right? There's so many opportunities in real estate. And if you're not someone who deals well with tenants, you could do commercial real estate. You could do all sorts of different things. Uh, it, it's just a really, it, especially for people who are pursuing fire, it is a really uh, interesting facet for your portfolio or for whatever your plans are for the future, because it is a passive, not really passive, but it could be semi-passive as you get further down the road where Chad is now. Chad, would you consider it passive for you? 
I mean, it's never completely passive, but it's that certainly, might- I mean, so like, I think for me, like, you know, comparing this, to, you got to know what you're comparing it to. <clears throat> and so I think that so many people in the fire community are interested in real estate because compare these little problems and big problems that like Gwen was talking about, but little problems and big problems of real estate, compare that to a day job. Yeah. Like, I mean, give me a break. Like I've, I've had, I've, you know, even some of my worst calls, I remember one call I was in Chile in South America and Patagonia, this is 2009. And I had, we were like a little, at that point, had like internet cafes instead of just having a cell phone and talking on it. But we were at an internet cafe and I was chatting on Skype with a plumber because we had a hot water heater bust and it went out everywhere. And so I was on there for five minutes. I trusted this plumber. Can you handle this? Can you clean this up? I pressed end on my Skype call five minutes later. I left the place and I went on a, like a ping to a penguin colony, like did tourism stuff, you know? <laughs> so like that was bad. You know, I didn't like to have a, a, a call about a hot water heater while I was on my vacation, but like, let's put this in perspective. I was in Patagonia looking at, you know, going on a penguin colony tour and I had a hot water heater burst. So it's like, you know, is that better than a job? Yeah. Like to me it is like, that's, there, there's a lot of jobs where you're attached to one place and you have like 10 times worse problems than that. And, and so and you can't travel and you don't have mobility. So I think there needs to be a little perspective, like with, with yeah. these real estate problems and yes, they're not great. They're not, they're not the same as having an index fund who never calls you with a, a, a plumbing problem, but mm-hmm. It's a lot, if you compare it to other options that pay you salaries, and this is a lot like a salary, it's like a pension, then yeah, it's just, this is a much better deal. I think we all decided we want to be Chad when we grow up. Clearly, <laughs> clearly. I want to I be all of you. So I did <laughs> well, you, you just talked about index funds. I mean, think about just in the last couple of days, the market's kind of gone down and everyone's kind of freaking out already. I'm like, y'all, it's been three to 5%. That's it. You can't handle that. You definitely don't want to be in real estate. That's an interesting point because a lot of people talk about the um, the differences, the pros and cons of each, and is, there's an emotional fortitude that's required in any sort of investment, even the stock market. Uh, and and what is the saying that you have, Gwen? That dividends don't do drugs. Dividends don't sell drugs. Don't sell drugs. Yeah. <laughs> don't do drugs either. But they don't sell them, which is more important to me. Right. So for those listening to this, from the to the panel, who do you think should be considering real estate investing and, and what is the reasons behind, because my default answer to people is much like Chad is I'd like to talk people out of it until they give me good reasons why they want to be into it. And if they're prepared to actually put the time into, and the learning curve that you may go through, just like Bianca and Gwen have talked about who should be considering this and what kind of position in their investment career should, should they be? Bianca? Um, I'm, I'm the same way as Gwen knows. I tried to talk her out of it too. Uh, I just think that you really have to have a good plan, financial plan, certainly, uh, and a good stomach for it. Cause it is difficult. You're not, you have no control over it. There's no control over your tenants. There's no control over your property. When a water, uh, heater is going to burst or when something will fall on your roof, there's no control. And like Chad said, you could be getting a call when you're going to a penguin colony. You don't know when that call is going to come, but it is going to come at some point. So uh, you have to be able to kind of go with the flow in regards to that. But at the same time, being that I have, for me, seen the worst for of it and losing all my properties within a couple of years, I still enjoy it. I enjoy the process of it. And I don't know if that's because I was a realtor and I just... I, I don't, I, I really don't know what my, my real reason is. And I've kind of tried to really hard to 
uh, figured that out. But that's, that's what I try to figure out for other people too, is what is your real motivation in doing this? You have to have a really strong heart for it because if not, you, that first call you get, you're going to want to ditch your properties. So I don't really know if that was a good answer, but it's the only answer I have is really to make sure that they know everything that they're getting involved in. Yeah, I would, I would just add to that. I think there's a couple of different places in kind of your climb to, to financial independence that it might be a good place to get in. And they might be they might be the same or they might be the same person who keeps going or might just do either or. I, I think one of those is when you first start. Like, so um, house hack, we've mentioned house hacking a little bit and talk about using your residence as an investment. Like, I, I really like that as a, I preach that all the time just because I think whether somebody wants to build a rental empire or they just want to like get a little dab, dabble of uh, real estate, like move, you have to live somewhere. And so if you're interested in it at all and you want to sort of learn how this works, um, living in a duplex or living in a house as a basement apartment, or if you're just, just got out, out of college and you've had roommates for four years, you know, renting out bedrooms in your house that you live in, like all of those are house hacking options where you're, you're sort of dipping your toes in you have to live somewhere, but that might, if, if you test it out and you like it, then you could grow into something bigger. Or if you test it out and you don't like it, Gwen, you know, you can say, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And so that's, it's kind of like a, I had a mentor who used to call it like a free roll of the dice. Like you're, you're using the house money. You have to live somewhere anyway. You might as well test it out. And there's not a lot to lose. Whereas if you do like I did and Bianca did, and you kind of get all in um, and go too fast, it's hard to backpedal from that. And so I like house hacking just as a way to get started. And then I, you know, I think you can grow into other avenues that might interest you later on. Yeah. I, I think one thing you mentioned, Chad, which is important is starting slow and easy, because I think what I'm hearing from all three of you is that what separates the real estate mogul from the novice is really having systems set up, having experience to know how to manage what goes wrong and having the relationships with the right people to help you when you need it. And so when you talk about things like house hacks or renting a duplex, what you're really doing is you're finding a soft landing to get those systems experience and relationships built before you really try to take off. I think the next question for everyone really is, and we'll start with Bianca because you mentioned it. So what is your most recent real estate plans? Uh, well, I just bought a caboose, so I don't know that I'm the right person. <laughs> I bought a property that's completely ridiculous. And I mean, though it can't, it could be a rental. I, I haven't figured that out yet. I guess for me personally, it's all low risk properties. The only property I'll buy is one that I'll actually live in. It has to allow dogs since I have one. I buy, I buy properties for me, period. And if it turns into a rental, that's fine. That's how I did all my properties. I always, only besides one, I lived in all my properties and then I would move and rent out the one that I was in. So for me, it always has to fit something that's suitable for me. I will never buy a place that has five bedrooms because I know I don't want four roommates. That might work for some people. It's just not a property that would be good for me. So uh, I guess that's going forward, it would be something that I would tend to live in. Or even if I didn't live in it right off the bat, it would be somewhere that I would eventually live. Because those are properties I'm going to know the best. And yes, that does add to a little bit of an emotional side of real estate, but real estate's always been emotional for me. I don't have 90 properties like Chad where I could maybe detach from that because I have um, bought and, and lost a couple times. I just feel like in, and I kind of learned that emotional connection to it. I, I'm able to separate that part of the failure part of it because I don't feel like that was really perfect. It, 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 it was a separate thing. I didn't know what I know now. So going forward, 
I would still go slowly and build slowly, but it will always be somewhere that I could possibly live in. So I'm buying for me, which means that my tenant will be someone probably similar to me too, but maybe not. I don't know. It could change tomorrow. Gwen, same question to you. Any real estate purchases uh, in the future? Uh, No, mostly because I don't have any money um, because the Dangle House took all of my spare cash and more. So um, right now I'm just going to save up and work on figuring out what avenue of real estate I want to get into. Being a financial backer really intrigues me to let other people do the work. And um, I'm also intrigued by things like Fundrise or Realty Shares to see what those are like. But also, uh, I don't have enough money for those because you have to be an accredited investor. So that's going to be a while. And Chad, future plans? Are you done buying new real estates or new properties or are you just getting started? Well, I mean, I'm always buying and selling. So like not a lot, but like I'm, I'm, de- I'm definitely more of like a, you know, like, you know, two or three a year kind of pace. And, but I, I kind of, I compare where I am now. It's like, we actually have more properties than we, um, than we need long run. Um, we, we, we had a sort of a fork in the road a few years ago where we, we'd saved up some capital and sold some properties and just had a, you know, just had some money to invest. And our debate was, I have a business partner. The two of us debated whether we should just go like the super conservative route and just like pay it all off, pay a bunch of our debt off, which was very tempting. Um, and we thought about doing it. Um, or should we invest that money conservatively in a new property? And we sort of left it up to like, I was going to go out and start searching for properties to see what happened. And if we found a really good deal that was solid that we could do conservatively, we'd invest that money in the new deal and we ended up finding in 2016, right before I left for Ecuador, um, 32 new units. <laughs> so wow. that's that's why we went from like just under 60 properties to 90. Um, but we did. It was a new kind of phase for me where I, we hired a completely different third-party management company to manage those new properties, and we were um, we did 250 thousand dollars in remodel on that new property. And I did. It was all while I was in Ecuador. Like they handled. They man. You know, I was kind of the vision for it, but. They handled all the details. I was a little nervous about that, you know, control freak kind of thing that I mentioned earlier. Um, but it was a gr- so that's kind of my growth experience now is I don't want to be hands on. I've done the hands on stuff. I've done every single thing. Other, th- I'm not very skilled at any kind of labor work. Like I can swing a sledgehammer and haul stuff off like an old football player, but I can't do anything like skilled. But everything else I've done, managing properties, bookkeeping borrowing money, buying properties, all that. So I'm, I'm looking to be more um, a passive investor, loaning money to other people, investing with other people, investing in people. Like I think when I first started, I was an entrepreneur who had no money. And I had these sort of more experienced investors who saw something in me and said, oh yeah, I'll invest with you, Chad. That'd be fine. I trust your effort and your integrity. And so like finding those kind of people and investing with them and not being the one who's having to do all the dirty work is more what I'm interested in at this point. Have you seen your opinions of leverage change over the years? Yeah. So we're long-term, I think we're going to continue to deleverage. Like when we first started, we were at 70% leverage, 75%. Now we're more, you know, kind of hovering 45 to 50% of of our whole portfolio. Meaning if a portfolio is worth a million dollars, you know, we'd have $450,000 in debt, for example, just overall. And long run, you know, that's where we debated going to almost a zero. But for us, we have a long time horizon. So kind of thinking about fire and I'm 38 years old, business partners are a few years older than me. You know, growth is still important for us. And, and I still have goals to get 
better, you know, better and make more money, but it's just at a much more easy pace, never consider, never trying to expose myself to too much risk and reducing um, leverage risk over time, you know, gradually. Bianca, do you have something? Yeah, you kind of, Chad just kind of touched on it, but I, I do have a question for him, which is if we're talking about real estate as a fire plan or five plan, when is enough enough? Like we, we know that calculation based on the 4% rule and everything mm-hmm. else for people who are just index investing, but when it, in terms of real estate, when is enough enough? That's a really good question. Like I've been think I've been kind of trying to think about it more lately on helping other people figure that out. And for me, um, I sort of went through the phases and didn't identify it as such where like, I went through like lean fire. I was like, all right, I got enough income to pay for lean fire. And then I got to a couple of years ago, like the normal fire, you know, just, this is my normal expenses, comfortable. Those are paid for with rental income. I haven't really gotten to like the fire, fat fire <laughs> um, level. And I'm not really sure that's, that's not, never been my thing. Like I, I have used furniture in my house and I still drive my Toyota Avalon from 2003. And, you know, so like, it's not really that appealing, but um, it was really interesting, that whole Susie Orman debate um, the last couple of weeks. I kind of got into it and gave her a heated response with my, on my blog. And, <laughs> um, but part of it, what I think to her, to her credit, was looking at long-term risk and uncertainty and just never assuming you have it all figured out and building a hedge kind of within your plans, I think is important. And so I've always thought that, and, but I think she kind of helped me crystallize that a little bit of saying, you know, it's not, it's not bad to continue to grow um, whether it's to pad your own kind of, you know, um, just margin for error or also just giving. Like I, I've, just, I've started thinking about like, what, what if, you know, if I live a lean fire lifestyle, but I have this big chunk of money to go like invest in social causes, invest in social businesses. I'm, I'm trying to build trails in my hometown. Like, so there's, there's if, if you have a talent for growing money, like why would you not continue doing that for, if not, for nothing else, like to reinvest it in other worthwhile ventures? Right. That's right. And, and what's interesting is there's not an exact formula for the equivalent to the 4% rule in the real estate world. At least I've never heard one exactly. The closest thing I've ever heard is this idea of pile, which is your passive income exceeds your living expenses. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what Chad's already um, achieved. I'm at the kind of what you call the, the lean fire stage. And that's kind of the thing that I like the most about real estate is as I hold it longer, it gets better. I can't easily go out and spend the the equity. Whereas when I have an index portfolio to in order to live off of that, um, there's this nerve nervousness about tapping into your principal, uh, uh, spending that that equity. And where and and there's this kind of old saying in real estate that you really can't eat equity because your equity by controlling that much equity, that's how much streams of income that you have. And that's all we're trying to do is all create streams of income. So that's always why I'm always curious about people who are interested in becoming financially independent, what they want is enough income. So they have to worry about, well, now they're going to make their mortgage repayment or not and not have to spend the time deciding whether they're going to work or not. It's they can do all the work they want, but they're not employed. I think it's what doc talks about all the time is the difference between work and employment. Any thoughts on that? Well, you just touched on something that, you know, you can't eat brick and mortar either. So that's my big thing with real estate is if people are getting involved in throwing all their money into it, you might have shelter over your head, but it's not going to food. It's not going to feed. It's not going to put food on the table. If you need to sell that property tomorrow, it's a bad investment. You're right. going to lose money. On it. So that's that. It's going way back in this conversation, but it totally just triggered me because that was one of the fears I had when I was trying to get out of real estate was I can't sell this stuff quick enough. Right. And that's 
something to caution, I guess, those, those newbies too. Also. I think the summary from this is, um, I think Chad, I've heard you say this before. And I, I know the folks from bigger pocket say this whole time is this idea of, um, being in a place of financial strength, um, when you're actually purchasing any sort of investment that is going to require some sort of continual capital call from you at some point in time, you know, there's going to be a capital expense required. You want to be in a place of financial strength where you can then deploy that capital as appropriate. Because uh, unlike, with the exception of maybe these realty shares or these kind of um, uh, investing in a small read or something, you really can't play in real estate with a $100 investment. The the alternative to that is what Chad started off doing, and, and that was running a business. And Chad, would you say that you were a real estate investor when you first started, or were you just a, a business person growing into a real estate investor? Yeah, I, I just started as a real estate entrepreneur, basically, as a, yeah. just a hustler, you know, side, side hustle, making no money for a while. But <laughs> yeah, sure. and, but you know, what's interesting with fire though, like kind of building in that margin of safety, like you can get your income coming in from real estate, but like Bianca mentioned, she's really interested in real estate and got her license. And there's so many like, you know, little side hustles you could do related to real estate if you're interested in it. And you know, from having you know, having your license to managing other people's properties to being an Airbnb co-host to, you know, if you don't want to be a contractor, be like Mr. Money Mustache and you actually like fixing stuff, you know, which I don't, yeah. um, you know, you can go fix stuff for people. Like, so there's just a lot of room there to where if, if you just need to make 20 grand and, you know, early retirement, you could go do that really easily um, within the real, with all this knowledge you've built as an investor, but that's not an investment, that's a business. And so they, they both have their benefits. Okay. Yeah, so like as we wrap up here, I'm sorry, doc, I'll let you get, I'll let you the floor in a second. As we wrap up here, um, do you feel like we have uh, allowed the users, um, have we given them the final say in who should be involved in real estate and, and, and why L- last thoughts, Chad or Gwen, Bianca? Uh, I don't think that we have done that because who are we to say that, you know, there's so many variable cases, if you want to get into real estate, get into real estate, try it out. If you get your butt handed to you, you get your butt handed to you, but you always bounce back. There's always more money to be made later. Bianca. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, like I said, there's no talking someone out of it, but if you do it, just do it in a safe way. You don't need to put all your money into it. Just because they say you can get a $350,000 loan doesn't mean you have to get a $350,000 loan. Listen to yourself. Don't listen to your realtor. They're going to want to spend all that 350000 you don't have to start that way. You can start small and build up. Yeah, that, that reminds me of Bianca. They said, you know, don't ask a, a, a barber whether you should get a haircut or not. Like, don't don't <laughs> ask your realtor whether you should buy a property or not. Um, yeah, I, I would I would say if, if if you listen to this whole hour here and you're enthusiastic and kind of has piqued your interest and you're you're like, oh, this is great, I could do this. Go for it. Like, figure out a way to do it safely. Like they talked about. If this is like making your palms sweat, nervous, like. Don't think you have to get in real estate just because like it looks good like what I did or Gwen did or Bianca did. Like this, this is there's plenty of other opportunities out there. If it doesn't call your name, no worries. We can still go to Camp Fi, have some fun, drink a beer together, and we'll we'll, we'll trade. We'll, we'll give you all our bad stories that you can live <laughs> vicariously through us. I just wanted to make sure that everyone knew my takeaways from this is that you cannot eat brick and mortar and that VTSAX does not sell drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent takeaways, Doc G. <laughs> but also, my takeaway is that I want to be Cuenca Fire, like Cuenca. Chad. There you go, Cuenca, Cuenca Ecuador. I want to be Ecuador Fire, like Chad. Awesome. Yeah, you Wonderful. can live. You can live. You can live Fat Fire on three thousand a month in Ecuador. So that's 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 another like you know global arbitrage kind of thing. So. <laughs> 
Well, thank everybody um, for coming on to today's show. Gwen, if anybody wants to follow more about you and your podcast and blog, where can they find you? They can find me at firemillennials.com for my blog. And I also host a podcast called Fire Drill Podcast with my friend Jay. So come check us out. We have a lot of cool stories from people who are doing amazing things like Doc G and Chad and Bianca. Wonderful. Bianca, how about you? Um, I sometimes write at MissMazuma.com, but I'm mostly on Twitter, also Miss Mazuma and Instagram. But Instagram's just for fun. So pictures of dogs and other weird stuff. And this should also be a perfect time to uh, promote Camp Fi, don't you think? Uh, yes. And you could usually find me at Camp Fi. <laughs> You've been to so, all of them, right? And you plan to go to all of them, I assume? I've been to all except for one. My boyfriend here is also here. Um, he is the founder of Camp Fi. So we have, what, six events this year? Six events. Two are sold out. Rocky Mountain just sold out uh, last night. So four breaking left. News. There yeah, are breaking four, news. Breaking news. Breaking news. And so there are four more open in 2019 for uh, Camp Fi. And it's campfi.org, yep. right? Campfi.org. Yep. I'll see okay. everybody at Camp Fi Southwest. Whoop, whoop. All right. Chad, what's, where can people find out more about you? So I, online, I live at coachcarson.com and I write about real estate investing, but my box is you know a little bit bigger than that. I talk about financial independence and travel and how you use real estate kind of as a tool to accomplish what, you know, to, to get to the point where you're doing more of what matters in your life. That's what I'm really interested in. And if you go over there, I have like, I have a real estate investor toolkit it has a lot of kind of the checklist that I use to close on a property, the, the form I use to analyze deals, kind of practical stuff like that. So come check that out and we'd love to connect with you. And, and he wrote an amazing book that you should all go out and oh, buy because it is chock full of very helpful information. Agreed. Lots of great stories. 25 case studies. Is that right, Chad? Yeah, how do I forget about the book? Yeah, so retire, retire. <laughs> it just launched, Jack. Come on now. <laughs> I don't do a good job promoting my book, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so that's it, it. Does give a lot of stories, which is the most fun part. I got to interview really cool people and share their stories and how they use real estate to retire early. So it's if you're interested in that, check it out. Okay, so that is our take on whether or not you should be involved in real estate or not, Doc. What were you, your big takeaways from our panelists? Well, you know, I, I think I took away a few big points from each person. I really connected with Chad Carson when he talked about thinking about real estate like baseball. And, you know, normally we think of a great hitter as having a batting average of around 300. That means they get a hit three out of every 10 times. I think one of our big mistakes with real estate is to figure that you're going to hit a home run every time. If you listen to Chad and if you listen to anyone who does this for a long time, you'll realize that there are a lot of missteps. There are a lot of failures. There are a lot of properties that don't necessarily turn the income you thought they would. So I think if you're hitting three or 400, you're doing really well. And especially at the beginning, if things aren't going exactly the way you thought they would, it's important to realize that some of it just takes experience, time, and dealing with multiple properties. I thought a lot too about what Bianca said. You know, Bianca talked about how for her, real estate investing has an emotional component. And normally we think that as a no-no, but I think Bianca kind of showed us that it doesn't have to be. The point is you can be emotionally involved in your properties, but I think you also have to understand the numbers and you have to understand the risks. 
And last, I really thought about what Gwen said. You know, we asked her, should real estate be part of your financial independence journey? And she said, well, I can't answer that for everybody. It really depends on who you are. And I think that gets down really to the point that we're trying to get to is that real estate is right for some of us and not right for others. And it depends on our risk tolerance. It depends on our ability to handle phone calls, even as Bianca said, sometimes in the middle of the night. So I, I found this conversation really instructive and, and took home a lot of points pretty much from all the panelists. What about you, Paul? Doc, what I took away from this conversation was that all three panelists said that they bought too aggressively. And I hear this a lot. And I, I had that some experience myself when I was um, starting investing is you have these big grandiose ideas of what you're going to do because there's, there's all these benefits of real estate. And it's really easy to get overly excited and get too aggressive with your purchases. And the, the sneaky thing about real estate is sometimes it takes a while for you to realize that you didn't purchase right. So you may get into a strategy and not realize for several months, if maybe even years that you didn't buy it right to begin with. So I think that was really good advice for everybody to take to heart. If you're considering real estate to tone it down. And I like Chad's advice of if you're, if you're kind of on the fence, uh, consider house hacking. And this particularly works for people who are younger or have a very flexible living situation where they're willing to take on the additional headache of managing prop, uh, managing tenants that are living next to you, like in a quadplex or something. That's a very clever way to get your exposure to real estate. And after two or three years of doing that, maybe even six months of doing that, you might know very quickly if you're willing to put up with the additional headaches. And I thought the, uh, there's also another note made by Bianca about understand your motivation of why you're getting into real estate and that if, what, why are you considering something that, that we all know has more headaches than index investing as an alternative. So it, it, there's potential for greater return, but there's also potential for a lot more headaches and understanding the motivation behind that, I think was a really good piece of advice that, that um, somebody who's considering this or is in the middle of real estate investing to remind yourself why you're doing it. And then I love that, and this, a, a I think speaks, this is a little bit my words, but I was kind of a summary of what they said is investing from a position of strength because you have cash reserves. And a lot of people get involved in real estate because they think it's a way that you can get a lot of returns with little to no money into it. And while that may be technically true, and people certainly have done it, that you're taking on a great deal of risk when you're doing so. And so not understanding the risks of leverage and taking on additional debt is really important and not being in a position of strength with cash reserves can lead you to a position of when it doesn't go right, like Bianca and Gwen mentioned and it had happened to them. I guess even Chad, to some degree, he was able to weather it because he had a lot of cash reserves. And that's something that typically people in the financial independent space are probably going to have a good, strong cash position. And if so, that actually makes you have a potential of being a good real estate investor if you're interested in it. Yeah, I think there were just a great number of takeaways uh, from this panel discussion. And the question is, you know, is real estate investing right for you and your path to financial independence? And the answer is it depends. Uh, we got great answers and we will continue to have these next level discussions. Paul and I would like to thank our guest panelists, Chad, Gwen, and Bianca, as well as Dave from Accidental Fire for providing the graphics for both our website and the podcast. We are looking forward to gathering another group of panelists to discuss what's up next in the financial independence community.
me and Doc's agenda here is not to tell people that they must do um, real estate or they must not do real estate. It's to get y'all's opinion on it. And so that's let's, Chad's let's, agenda. Yeah, that's always Chad's agenda. So I, I you know, he's got a similar I get book. Painted, I get painted in that box. Oh, I need to get out of that box sometimes. <laughs> or it's better than my box of being the failure of real estate three times. Hey, I'm in that box now too, Bianca. Uh, oh, well. okay, I love so talking about failing massively. Did, did we even explain to you what our topic was today? No. Real estate? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get to say this is Doc G and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. You just did. You just did. <laughs> oh, wow. Bianca, if you notice, I didn't put my last name in there either. I know, but everyone just knows Gwen. That's true. People are like, you have a last name? <laughs> no one knows my last name, really. So. Well, nobody can really pronounce it. That's a lot of letters. It's D Valerio, but I'm thinking of just shortening it to Diva. Uh, <laughs> there you go. How that goes over in this community. Wow. Well, I heard there's a queen in town, so I thought I'd be the diva. Uh, so uh, that's a wrap, and uh, we will start. Uh, that's it. I'll just cut it. I didn't have anything to say. Oh, I didn't either, so I, I punted to you. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. I was really ready. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts.